As we continue in this uh, study on credo, I would invite you to open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning, as you've already seen up on the screen, we're going to talk about money and giving and possessions. <laughs> and you're here. You're here. Yay! I know this causes some problems for some people. For some people, all they think of is the, uh, the preacher who is out for selfish gain who wants to get financed and wants to have a private Learjet. Well, I can assure you that ain't the case here, okay? Some people don't like talking about giving in church because they, they feel like they're, they feel guilt and shame because they feel like every time it comes up, they feel like they aren't giving enough, they should give more, and, and so a subject of giving in a church service brings nothing but guilt and shame. That's not my intent. I am not here to make you feel bad. Some people don't like a subject of giving in a worship service because they basically don't want anyone telling them what they should or should not be doing with their finances. But this morning, we are going to approach this subject, and I think it is the most spiritual of all subjects we could approach. Did you hear me? I believe that what we do with our possessions and our money is the most spiritual thing we will do. And so we're going to talk about money and and giving today, and I'm not going to make any excuses for it either. I believe it is in the Word of God for a reason. In fact, there are some 700 statements in the Gospels alone about giving, about money, about finances. In fact, two-thirds of Jesus' parables were somehow related to finances. I want to tell you it's important The quote that we have, that we use a lot, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is one of only none other quotes outside of the Gospels from Jesus Christ. Jesus is quoted in Acts chapter 10, verse 35. We're going to look at that in a moment, where he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the only quote of Jesus outside the four Gospels. There's something about giving that is close to and near and dear to the heart of God our Savior, and I want us to talk about it this morning. And so we're going we're gonna to read through this passage together. So would you look with me at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Follow along as I read. Did I say 1 Corinthians or 2? I gave you the right text. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And Father, as we talk about giving this morning, we recognize that it is a subject that brings controversy. And so, Lord, I just pray that today it would be your word that would be proclaimed. Remove anything that's of Pastor Jeff. I pray, Father, that your word would be seen for what it is from you to us. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts to work. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sitting here putting my hand in my pocket, and I'm realizing I need some help this morning. Because otherwise, I'm going to make a lot of noise with this. I have a, a bunch of quarters, and so I need about six cornerstone kids who will just come on up here, and I need you to hold something for me during the service, okay? I have just a bunch of quarters, and they're going to make a lot of noise. So I need six of you. All right, I already got six. Can you, can you and your brother share this? Okay, why don't you go sit down? That way I know you got it, okay? Um, how many do I have left here? One, two, three, four, five, six. Who can share here? Anybody share? Will you share? Okay, who do you want to share with? There, you guys shared. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, you guys can go sit down. I just need you to hold on to these for me, otherwise it's going to make a lot of noise while I'm preaching. And so could you just hang on to them? Okay, now be careful with them. Don't lose it, okay? This is very important. I need you to just thank you. Thank you. Now, now I won't put my hands in my pocket and make a lot of noise. Thank you. You're helping me out. I really appreciate that. So we're going to talk about money and, and, and possessions today. And, and this morning, it is my prayer, my heart's desire, that you would not see me as a televangelist begging you to dig deep. I am not promising that if you give $10, you will receive $100 back. That's not my job. My job today is to ask this question. What are the truths about finances in the Bible of Scripture that we need to know? What is the truth? Because remember, we're on a series called Credo. A credo is a set of beliefs that guides the way an individual or a group lives. A set of beliefs that actually give direction to the way one lives. And so as we talk about money, as we talk about giving, we need to ask the question, what's the set of beliefs about money and about finances, about our possessions that lead us in the way that we're giving? What is it we believe that should help us move us forward into how we give, okay? That's my desire. So, this morning, I want to start off by talking about this. What are the biblical truths about money and possessions? And there are much to be said. One of the things I'm having to do in these sermons is cut way back on all that is there that could be said. I hope you understand we're not going to exhaust this subject this morning. There's much, much more to be said. So if you're thinking in your brain, well, Pastor Jeff, you didn't mention this point. I'm sorry, okay? But I only have so much time. 
And so we're going to mention a few truths, four truths that about God's, what God's Word says about our money and our possessions. And the first is this. What does it say, Cornerstone Kids? You see that? God owns it all. And why do we say that? Because King David in Psalm 24 says this. Can you read it with me, kids? Can you see it? Okay. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns it all. In fact, elsewhere in the, in the, in the Bible, we read that God not only owns the earth and the universe, but we're told that He owns the birds and the beasts and the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what Scripture says. So He, he owns all of the animals. But we're also told that He owns, in Haggai 2 verse 8, He owns even the silver and the gold are His. We're told in Psalm 74 that God even owns the day and the night. God owns it all. Are you with me? And, and, and you stop and think about it. Who created the universe? Cornerstone Kids? God. So as the Creator, He is the one who owns it all. It's all His. God owns it all. So what does that say? That says that when we have the mindset that I own something, we need to shift our mindset. I mean, we might have a piece of paper, uh, a pink slip for our car that says you own it. You're not making any more payments. And that's praise the Lord on that, right? But how were you able to do that? How were you able to get that car? How was that car able to be made? It all came through God. Amen? It came, God gave man the ability to think it and to create it. God gave man the ability to go out and earn some money to pay for See, it's all from God. Everything is God's. So truth number one, and much more again could be said here, but what we need to understand this morning is God owns everything. So the second truth as we look at this is we are stewards, not owners. If God owns it all, that means you and I don't own it. We are simply stewards. Who knows what a steward is? Cornerstone kids, anybody know? Steward? Yeah, you help people. Okay, more specifically in this context, it is the idea of managing finances or property for someone else. In other words, it's not your property, it's not your finances, but you are managing their finances. So Jesus, you remember in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the, of the three tenants or the three stewards. And he gives, the, the, the owner of the, the place goes away, and he gives certain amounts to these three different people. And the first goes out, and he doubles it. The second goes out, and he doubles that amount. The third buries it in the ground. And the master comes back, and he's pleased with those first two who doubled it. He says, because you have much, you, and you've doubled it, you will receive much. Go and be in charge of much, much more. But the one that buried it, remember, Shame on you, and he kicks him out. See, there's this idea of managing what God owns. So when you and I have money in the bank, we need to understand we're simply stewards of what God has provided. God has, has given us that money. God has, God has allowed us to have that. He has allowed us to have possessions. And so we are called upon by God to steward it. 
And if you want further proof, think about this. How long will you be able to keep your money? Well, some might go, well, you never know what's going to happen, right? Remember 2007, right? Jason knows. We know. We know what happened. So you don't ever know, but I guarantee that when you die, you're not taking it with you. How do I know that? Well, Paul tells young Timothy, ready, Cornerstone kids? Read it with me. For we brought nothing. Kids, where are you? You see it? Are you with me, Cornerstone kids? Read it with me. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. The, I think it was Swindoll who said, you don't ever see a U-Haul following a hearse. Because you cannot take it with you, right? Everything that you have here on earth is temporary. It's only yours while you're alive. Once you die, you cannot take it with you. Therefore, while you have it, you are God's manager. You are His steward. You are not an owner. He has given it to you so that you can manage it and and use it wisely. So what we need to understand... I'm sorry... My mic is falling off here. What we need to understand, have you ever read that book, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn? Who's read it? I love it. Do you remember the main principle that he gives, the overarching principle? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. As a manager, as a steward of what God has provided, we can send it on ahead. We can invest it in things that count for eternity. We can invest our finances in things that will last forever. And what is that? God's Word and people. God's Word lasts forever. People last forever. And therefore, if we can invest what we have been given by God as a good steward into God's Word and people, we will invest it into things that will last for all of eternity. So we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead as stewards of everything that God owns. You with me? Have, you, have I lost you? We're going through this quickly because we've got to get to some application points. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Thirdly, what we need to understand from the Word is this. God loves it when we give. He loves it when we give. Did you catch that verse in our passage this morning? God loves what? A cheerful giver. God loves, notice that word, He loves a cheerful giver. That's just a little short section out of what we read today. But He loves a cheerful giver. God is so, so pleased when we give with the right heart. When we give to that which will last for eternity. God loves it when you and I invest His money in that which helps build His kingdom. So we need to understand that God loves it when we give. And then fourthly, understand this. Blessings follow giving. Now listen, I want to be careful. I don't want to sound like a a health and wealth preacher here And again, I'm not saying that if you give $10, tomorrow you'll receive $100 from somewhere. Now that can happen. God is is certainly able to do that. In fact, God is able to provide you with $1,000 or $1,000,000 tomorrow. It's, It's His prerogative. It's His choice. 
But what I am saying is based on that verse that we already talked about, there's something about giving in and of itself that is a blessing. Jesus said, what did He say, Cornerstone Kids? Read it with me. The verse on the bottom there. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so there's something that is, that is rewarded. There's a blessing in giving. But if you look at our passage today, notice what it says in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also, what? Reap bountifully. There is this promise in Scripture, and it's not just here. It's on down in verse 10. Again, he says it. He who supplies the seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. There is something about giving that brings blessing, that brings reward. Blessing follows giving. And I'm not saying it will always come in the form of finances. You might have to go through a rough season financially even after you have given. But there's blessing. There is a promise of blessing by God. And if you want to know what those promises are, you talk to Jack Hatfield because he knows this. Right, Jack? <laughs> He's asleep, so you might want to wake him up first. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, so there's this truth. So, so just looking at these four truths out of Scripture. Number one, God owns it all. Number two, we therefore are stewards, not owners. Number three, God loves it when we give. And number four, blessings follow giving. If I could put it to you in one statement, I would give it to you this way. Ready for it? Benevolent giving is blessed living. Benevolent giving is blessed living. Now the word benevolent, just to define it for you, it really means that I'm giving for the benefit of God and others. Benevolent means I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the other people. It's not giving so that people say, wow, that guy, he's such a great giver. It's not giving that's done selfishly. It's a giving that's done unselfishly for the benefit of God and His kingdom and the benefit of other people. That's what benevolent giving is. But by the Word of God and just those four truths we've looked at based upon Scripture, we recognize this morning that when I give for the benefit of God and others, there is something that happens in my life that reveals blessing. There's a blessing that comes. Benevolent giving is blessed living. And I, 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 would, I would submit to you that we could go the rest of the day and we could have people who are big givers, who have given a lot in their lifetime, and if we were to ask them to give testimony, I would submit to you they would be able to tell you time and time again how God has blessed them as they have given. I've read it. Maybe you've read testimonies like that too. Maybe you're those, that person who could give it yourself. You could give a testimony where God has blessed you because you have given benevolently. So what we're talking this morning is the truth from God's Word. Benevolent giving is blessed living. But the question that comes before us is what does it look like if I really believe this? If I really stand on the Word and I say, God blesses me when I give. God blesses me. It may be financially, it may be other. God blesses me when I give. If I really, really believe that, then what would my life look like as it relates to finances? 
Now, there's much to be said, right? There's much to be said again. I'm only going to pick four things here. But there are four things that come from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I'm just picking them out, okay? But I want you to see these things. If we truly believe, if, if, if you believed today that benevolent giving is blessed living, I submit to you, you would do these things. First of all, you would give yourself. You would give yourself. Now, now I want to say something right here. Are you still with, listening? I, I want to say something right here. I believe this is the key. This is the most important piece that we're going to talk about this morning. Some of you are in this place today, and perhaps you have never given yourself over to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've never said, I believe that my sins has separated me from a holy God, but Christ Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day, and I have put my trust in Him as my Savior and the only way to enter into a relationship with God. If you've never done that, this is for you. Money, forget anything I've said about money, because this is point number one and priority for you. Give of yourself to the Lord. See, the things that we're talking about today are for followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not a follower, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not even telling you to give. God wants your heart before He wants your money. And so I'm encouraging you today to give of yourself. And perhaps this is where you just need to stop and camp. See, here's the amazing thing. As we think about this, we, we realize that the Corinthians gave an example back in chapter 8. Actually, not the Corinthians, the Macedonians. So, so what this is, in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is telling them and reminding them of the collection for the saints who are in Rome, the brothers and sisters, the, the Christians who are in Rome. They were being greatly persecuted, and they were in much, much need. And, and so the other churches... Uh, outside of Rome were taking a collection for them and bringing it to them. And Paul in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is reminding the, the church at Corinth that they had promised to do this. And so he's telling them. And here he talks about the Macedonians, who they themselves are being afflicted, but they gave themselves, here's what he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. I would submit to you that if you have not given yourselves first to the Lord, this is where you need to be. This is what you need to do. After you think about this, the Lord has given Himself to you. In fact, the Lord gave first, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That demonstrates God's love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave... His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes! Yes! You knew it! Good for you. You guys still have my money? You guys still have my quarters? You still have my quarters? Okay. Hang on to them tight. Okay? Good. Thank you for keeping my quarters. So, the Lord Jesus gave to us first, and so give yourself. This is the first way that we would live if we really believe benevolent giving is rewarded, or excuse me, is blessed living. Secondly, the way we live is we would give responsibly. We give responsibly. This is what I'm, 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 I'm trying to encourage this morning. 
is that you pray about giving. That you pray and talk to the Lord and ask, what, Lord, should I be giving toward? What is it that I should be doing? There's this responsibility that comes. If you, if you have your Bible still open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, notice what it says in verse 7. Each one, I think I have it on the screen, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's this responsible giving. We need to decide in our heart. It, it, it's something that we decide even before we give. It's something we prayerfully consider. It's something we think about. It's something we ask, ask the Lord for. It's not reluctantly. It's not with grief. Like, oh man. Oh. Right? But it's not under compulsion either. It's not, oh, shame on you if you don't give. Oh, how can you call yourself a Christian if you don't dig deep? That's compulsion. That's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about giving responsibly. We're talking about considering what it is I have opportunities to give toward, and then it is giving in that. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and I know it might sound self-serving because I'm the pastor here, but I believe it wholeheartedly. Therefore, I'm going to tell you, I believe that our giving should be to our church family first. And I don't mean that being selfishly. I believe that God has given us His Word where Jesus says, I will build My church. Right? I will build My church. Uh, Paul tells the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20 that they are to carefully watch over the flock for which Christ Himself has died for. Christ loves the flock. He builds the church. I believe in this age in which we live, the church is the first place we ought to give. Our home church, our family, okay, our church family. So if you're here today, you're visiting, and you have another church family, don't give here. Give at your church family, okay? I believe that's first. And I, and I want to tell you again, let me just kind of harp on this a bit. You know the, the budget sheets that I told you you could pick up today to get ready for next Sunday, which is right at the back of that last row in the middle here? Those have been prepared with much prayer and I think much sweat, right, Jack, by our finance team. They have been spending hours and hours and hours and hours looking at the budget. They have been seeking to be good stewards with this church family. And, and so I encourage you to understand that when you give to Cornerstone, if this is your church family, you, you, you give to something that really isn't just kind of throwing money here and there, left and right, to this and that. You're, you're given to something that is carefully, prayerfully considered. And you can take a look at what that is on that sheet, okay? But secondly, I need to remind you that we do have a benevolent fund here. We have, we, have, uh, we have people in our church family and in this community who have some great needs. And so we have a benevolent fund where the deacons, two of our deacons, uh, Bob and, and Dan, get an opportunity to love on people financially through the ministry of this church. And that's a separate fund than our general fund. And so that's another opportunity to give. There are many opportunities to give. I don't want to go through them all right now. But I just want you to understand that giving responsibly is what someone who believes that benevolent giving is rewarded living, 
blessed living would do. They would give responsibility. So secondly, or thirdly, rather, I need to go on, give joyfully. If we truly believe it, we would give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver, right? He loves those who give cheerfully. So I'm not about to say if you're not cheerful, don't give. What I'm about to say is this. You're supposed to give, so get cheerful about it. Oh, was that coming on too strong? I believe, though, if we really stop and pray and we really do that responsible thing with our giving, we will be cheerful givers. If we see how our money is being used in, in various ministries and how it's affecting people and how it's affecting uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the community, I would submit to you, you can't help but be joyful. Amen? So if we really believed it, we would be joyful. I love this description back in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians of the Macedonians. It says, for a severe test of affliction, or in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, so notice the two come together, extreme poverty, but abundance of joy, they came together and have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Macedonians were a poor folk. They followed, they loved Jesus, they themselves were being persecuted, they experienced affliction, but they had joy in giving to Rome, to the church in Rome. Isn't that interesting? And Paul is just saying, look at them, they had joy mixed with their poverty and they gave generously. And so there's this idea of joyful giving being an aspect of those who truly believe. But then thirdly, there is this connection give generously again look with me at verse 6 of 2nd Corinthians 9 I always forgot the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully there is this promise in scripture that if I'm generous in my giving that that blessing of God will overflow This is the law of the harvest, by the way. If you went out and you were a farmer today and you planted just a couple seeds in five acres, would you expect to reap a whole huge harvest? Absolutely not. But if you went out and you put as much seed into the ground as you possibly could, then you would expect to reap a full harvest. That's the law of giving as well. The more you give, the more blessed you will become. That's that's what's promised here. But it's, listen, it's for the purpose of being able to give even more. It's not so that you can build wealth and put it in the bank and you know, save up and this, that, and the other thing. It is for the purpose of having further resource to give even more. See, I, I love, I got, I, I got to read this. Uh, R.G. Letourneau, some of you know that, him, that name, uh, invented the big earth-moving machines. He said, he said uh, oh, I'm, I missed it, so let me go back to it. Just a minute. Hang on. Are you still with me? You kids still have my money? Yeah. Okay, good. Don't forget. I, I'm, okay. R.G. Letourneau, who by the time he is, of his death, he was tithing 90% and only living on 10%, by the way. He said this. He said, I shovel it out. And God shovels it back. And then he makes this statement. But God has a bigger shovel, he says. I love it. 
See, there's this generosity thing. Those who truly believe that benevolent giving is blessed living will recognize that the more generous I am, the more blessing I will receive. And, and, and so we understand this truth. And so the Macedonians had given generously. And now Paul is telling the church in Corinth, listen, you can do it. You can do what they just did. Give generously. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. If you sow limitedly, kind of, kind of reservedly, you're not going to reap as much. And so there's this, there's this truth that those who understand this will give generously. But here's the key. Kids, you still have my money, right? My quarters? Okay, good. Thank you. It's not jingling in my pocket. But here's the deal. When it comes to giving, and when we think about being generous, the question is not, how much of my money should I give God? Rather, the question is, how much of God's money should I keep? You see the twist? Oswald, J. Oswald Sanders says that. That's the biggest question. The basic question is not how much of our money should we give back to God, but how much of God's money should we keep for ourselves. Letourneau said, it's not how much money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. See, if we change our mentality, our thinking about it, if we recognize, going back to that first truth, God owns it all. And so the things that I have in my so-called possession are really handed to me to be a steward with, not an owner of. Therefore, a steward constantly asks the question, how much of his money should I keep and how much of his money should I give? Not how much of my money should I give. How much of his money should I keep? And, and, and so this morning, we're going to have opportunity as a church family to enter into a time of worship that we don't normally do. Normally we have offering boxes on the walls, but if you came in and you tried to give your tithe in there this morning, you notice they were blocked off. And there's a reason, because this morning, as I shared with you last week, we were going to do this. We want to hand pass out the, the offering. We have bags and, and uh, plates. So Six men have been chosen, I think, to come forward in a little bit to, to help us in this. And we're going to pass, out, pass around the offering plate. Now, the reason we do this is not to make you feel guilty, not to shame you, not to have you um, have to put in something, otherwise you're going to look bad in front of other people. No, this is an opportunity to truly worship this morning. We want this to be a worshipful thing. We want this to be something that you think about, that you consider in your own heart. So I just want you to prepare for that. I want you to think about that. And I want to give you one, well, two quick things as we close. Benevolent giving is blessed living. So here's something that I received, and I love it, from a church in Arizona. And here's what they tell their church family to do. Just as a rule of thumb with your finances, give first. Why give first? Because God first gave to us. We give first. Second, save. We save second because we want to make sure that we do that kind of thing, that saving. And then third, we live on the rest. We don't live above our means. We live on what the rest of that is. Notice there's no percentage rates here. Some may start with 5% giving, 5% saving, and live on 90%. Some might be able to give 10% and save 10% and live on 80%. I don't know. You need to seek the Lord out for what that looks like in your own heart. But I thought this was so good. Give first. That's the important thing. Give first. 
Give first, save second, and then live on the rest. And if we would get a hold of that, I think our finances would be in pretty darn good shape. Can I say that word? If you were offended by that word, I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't mean to offend you. I was trying to make a point. So excuse me for that. I'm sorry. But you will be in very good shape. Okay? Okay? And then I want to show you one other resource here. A guy by the name of Nielsen Searcy has put together this generosity ladder. And, and, and what he says here is, is there are some, you probably can't read it, some who have not given before, so they're on the bottom rung, they're the first-time givers. Some who give but not consistently, so they're the occasional givers. Some who give consistently but less than 10%, they're intentional givers. Some who faithfully give 10% of all my income, they're the tithers. And then some at the very top I give beyond the tithe. And, and the point is this. The reason why he brings this up is to encourage us and to challenge us. To ask, first of all, where do you see yourself? Where are you? Bottom rung, middle rung, top rung, where are you? But then his challenge is take the next step up and see what God will do. Trust in the, fa- the truth that benevolent giving is blessed living and take the next step up in the ladder. Just take the, you don't have to go clear to the top. Just take the next step. That's what he encourages. And so I share it with you this morning to maybe ask you to pray about it, think about it. Where are you and what God might ask you to do in taking that next step? Okay? Kids, you still have my money, my quarters? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray in a moment. And, and, and as, we, as I pray, those six men who have been uh, asked to uh, serve or hand out the offering plates, uh, they're going to come forward. And you kids who have received my money, I'm going to ask you to do something in light of what we've talked about. Okay, I've handed it to you. You are carrying it, holding it for me so that it wouldn't make noise in my pocket. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to determine right now how much of my money you're going to keep for yourself and how much you're going to put in the offering plate. Okay? So you get to choose right now how much of those quarters, whether you're going to put all four quarters in or whether you're going to hang on to all four quarters. I won't ever know the difference. Only you will, okay? So you get to choose right now what kind of steward you're going to be with the money that I've just handed you. Does that make sense? Any questions? Got it? Yes? Okay, men, would you come forward and let's bow in prayer.